a Radio 191 FM podcast. We are now joined by Trent Smith from the University of Otago's Department of Economics for this week's instalment of Business as Usual on R1 News. Today we're talking about the Chinese housing market, speculative bubbles, and the 2008 global financial crisis. What a light series of topics. How are you going, Trent? I'm well, thanks, Zach. Oh, Cheers. Nice. Good to hear, good to hear. Now, what is a speculative, bu- speculative bubble in terms of finance, and is it a worrisome thing? Yeah, so it's a speculative bubble is what we call it when um, when a you know a market um, where you've got people buying and selling a, a commodity or something, and the price becomes disconnected from sort of the fundamental value, right? So the price goes up and up and up, and because the price is going up and up and up, people pay attention to that rather than what this thing is actually worth out there in the real world. Um, and so yeah, and so the the reason we use the metaphor of of a bubble is it's kind of obvious, I guess, that right, the price is going up and up and up as if you're inflating the bubble. Mm. And then, all, and of course, we all know bubbles eventually pop, and that, that happens frequently. There, there, you know, there are economists who like to ignore bubbles or pretend they don't exist, but of course they do, right? And, and we've seen them happen since, you know, tulip mania in the, in the 17th century. Um, would you say that oh, some of those economists would have ignored the 2008 speculative bubble? <laughs> Was that a pretty primetime example? Uh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, economists did ignore it, and and were you know very few predicted it, and um, uh, and there and there were and there were economists like openly saying that um, yeah, bubbles couldn't happen in in this market. The whole too, the banks are too big to fail kind of thing as well. Yeah, or that traders are too sophisticated to get caught up in such a thing. Right. Yeah. So assuming your own ignorance kind of thing. Um, Right. So do you see that there's like changes towards economists' thought and policy now that we know bubbles can happen given 2008 financial crisis? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The, 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 financial, crisis, the financial crisis was a big – it was kind of an awakening moment for the economics profession. I, I mean, honestly, I don't know how much it's changed how we do our research, but um, there's much more acknowledgement that um, we should be teaching about sort of problems that can happen. In, in markets, and the big one that pe- that gets talked about in with with bubbles is the information problem, right? And so, you can actually um, sort of uh, write down a model where people don't um, people don't have full information about fundamental values of what they're buying and selling, and so they make use of the information they see from other people, what what other people are paying, and so you, you can that like you can literally like see how a bubble would inflate it in that way. Now, there's been kind of rumors or speculation that China might be going through a speculative bubble at the moment um, with their housing mo- with their housing market. The Chinese government itself wants to curb what they see as the driving forces behind a problematic housing market, which are high prices, high debt, and high financialization. Uh, this has meant that developers are not getting funded for new builds, and in-progress builds have pretty much come to a halt. Uh, the Chinese banking system has around a quarter of its investments in property, and it's, uh, if developers can't pay their debts... How do you reckon this will impact the Chinese economy? Um, yeah, it does. It does sound like there's potentially a bubble uh, popping in China at the moment, and the, you know, there. It's it's hard to completely put an end to bubbles, but there are a couple of things that that make them worse. Um, so one is uh, well. Um, one is high leverage, so high debt. It's another word for debt is leverage, right? So you've got your investment levered, levered by buying with debt rather than buying with cash. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and the well, and the other big thing that that regulators can uh, keep an eye on is fraud, right? So if you have rampant fraud in a market in a marketplace, um, that's going to make a, a bubble worse when it happens. Right. Do you think that's the case for for China? Um, well, so what apparently what's happening in China now is that the market has been highly leveraged, so it's been they've had this debt financed real estate boom, and so the government. Um, is worried about that as they probably should be, um, because it, you know it's it's fertile ground for a for a bubble to happen, and uh, and when bubbles pop, uh, that can be very bad. But <clears throat> the the thing about so so apparently uh, from what I understand, like this bubble has started to pop because the Chinese government had started tightening up on credit, right? So right, so maybe no more uh, you know uh, ridiculously low interest rates for borrowers and such things. But as soon as you do that. Um, but like you're risking bursting the bubble. So, so the the way. Okay, I should if you let me quickly explain the way the way <laughs> go, go the ahead. way leverage works um, is um, so. Say I'm buying a house for a hundred thousand uh, um, dollars, and uh, and uh, I need to put down twenty percent. So I only need twenty thousand dollars to be able to buy this hundred thousand dollar house. So I go ahead and do that, um, and then once I've bought it, um, you can imagine the the price goes up. To one hundred twenty thousand dollars, the value of my house goes up. Mm-hmm. So I've just doubled my money, right? My my twenty thousand dollar investment is now worth forty thousand. So the leverage amplifies it, the both the riskiness and the sort of um, average return, right? So if you're an investor, this sounds great, right? I can double my re- well. You're 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 I guess you're if it's a twenty percent if you're leveraged five x as I would be with a twenty percent down payment. Um, I'm quintupling my returns by mm-hmm. by doing that. But of course, prices can go the other direction, and that's where bad things happen. So if I buy that hundred thousand dollar house, um, its value then goes down to eighty thousand. I've lost a hundred percent of my investment, um, and and you know it could go even lower, and I'd be negative right, in in my investment. And if at that point I was for some reason I had to sell the house. Um, well, that's bad news for me, right? I've got to come up with this, uh, come up with this extra money to, to pay back my loan uh, that's that's gone now. And so that's that's sort of what's happening when a bubble bursts is that you've got all this debt financed um, uh, um, uh, purchasing going on and speculation going on, and then credit gets tightened. So Chinese government raises the interest rates. Um, and suddenly, some like the the um, you know the property developers who were just on the edge suddenly start realizing, oh wait a minute, I can no longer you know make my payments. I'm going to have to sell some property. And then once that happened, it drives down prices even more. And and you can sort of get this. Uh, the, that's that's what starts the bubble bursting, right? And it can be hard to stop once it once the once the downward trend in prices stop it starts. So the situation currently happening in China, should we expect any impacts on the global economy? Uh, that's a good question. So it, I mean, the, the question is the big, uh, my, the Chinese property market is mostly held within China, I believe, which is mm-hmm. good news for us. Hmm. Uh, um, but it is important that uh, the entire Chinese economy not go into a tailspin, right? <laughs> like the rest of the world would feel that. And so... Um, there's only so much a government can do when it's, uh, I mean, so the Chinese government could walk back its uh, its tightening up of credit markets and say, okay, we're going to do this more slowly. Let's not uh, burst the bubble all at once. 
um, and I imagine they'll try to do that. But it's part of the problem with leverage is that if you, you know, if, if the government makes interest rates low and it makes them low forever and people start thinking, oh, interest rates are going to be low forever, suddenly it's actually not irrational to pay so much for a house, right? Because, you know, my mortgage payments are going to be low because interest rates are low. And so even though this house has multi- many multiples of my income, like it still sort of makes sense in an economic sense. And so once the government says, oh, wait a minute, we're going to pull back here and they start raising the interest rates and then prices start to fall, it can be hard to walk that back as a government, right? Like you've already said interest rates won't be this low forever. And so, you know, how are you going to convince people that they will? Right? So it can be hard to, hard to um, recover from that. Mm. Now, in the, um, in the Guardian article I sent you earlier about this topic, yeah. the author claimed that the, um, the, the situation won't be quite like the global financial crisis because Chinese households have historically high rates of savings, which wasn't quite the same in America where uh, homeowners couldn't really pay much off their mortgage, let alone their interest. Um, is having high savings enough to kind of avert or minimize, or minimize a speculative financial catastrophe? Yeah, I, I found that remark in the in the in the Guardian article kind of peculiar, actually, because high savings and high debt are opposites of each other. I mean, he's essentially saying, "Oh, they have high savings, so they're not very leveraged, so this is not going to be a big problem." Um, and I mean, so he's probably looking at different statistics when he when he cites those two things, right? So um, it's definitely true that high savings can can uh, make these things uh, not make the bursting of the bubble not so bad. Um, and it, but it could be that you know many Chinese households have high savings, like they aren't highly leveraged in their in their housing situation or whatever. But there could still be a big part of the economy that doesn't have that buffer, right, relative to the debt they're carrying. So it's 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 not. Uh, I, I haven't looked at the numbers myself, but it's it's um, it, it's true that those two things can't happen at the same time: high savings and high high debt, right? <laughs> And so given what we've learned from the GFC, um, would you say the two scenarios and what's currently happening in the Chinese housing market are different and like, so we're unlikely to see a repeat of history or is there a potential? Um, you know, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, I think there's good reason to think that what's happening in China is, is not going to be nearly as bad as what happened in the GFC. Um, and that's be, you know, and that's because we know in the GFC it was it wasn't just the U.S. Um, securities market that was trading these uh, properties securities back and forth, um, but they were also being traded overseas in other markets in the U.K. And um, but on top of that, we also know in the U.S. market there was sort of epidemic fraud in the lead up to the to mm. the uh, to the GFC. Um, you, know, you know, because of sort of uh, lax enforcement, and there's also extremely high leverage in trading those mortgage securities. You know, they were 30x and higher, um, so it, it didn't take much to to um, to burst it. And uh, but but it all, that's also why it grew so big. So I, for China, I think we're going to have to wait and see. Yeah. Mm. Uh, lastly, just to wrap up this little, little segment, does the fact that the Chinese state kind of facilitates, owns, and manages its banks? rather than large private firms in America, make much of a difference in how this problem uh, can be tackled? Um, it does, absolutely. It makes it, easier for the, it makes it easier for the Chinese government to solve this problem. The, you know, there were many who said, in the, when the GFC was happening, there were many w- who said, um, 
you know, looked at America and said, yeah, you've got failing banks, but, you know, and the way to deal with that is to temporarily nationalize them. And for some reason, the U.S. government never put this on the table, right? You can temporarily na- temporarily nationalize a, you know, a failing bank, you know, clear out the executives and, and install new management, and then and then denationalize them, right? They don't, they don't have to be government-run forever. So I think that will be easier for China, and they'll be less averse to, to doing it to solve their problem. Awesome. Well, let's hope that they don't enter a financial catastrophe then. <laughs> yes. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for coming on, Trent. That was a Radio 1 91 FM podcast. You can find more at r1.co.nz or wherever quality content is found.